Speed. 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 Speed Cafe. Speedcafe.com. Your daily racing fix. Check it out. Speed Cafe. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Speed Cafe podcast. My name is Damien Smite. Great to be with you as we head into round seven of the 2023 Repco Supercars Championship. A little bit over halfway. We've done six. There are 12 rounds. So uh, things are starting to heat up. Let's see what the second half of the season brings. But today brings our first special guest and a privilege to have this gentleman on as our first guest on the Speed Cafe uh, podcast. So more on that in just a moment. But let's look back before we look forward and what a fantastic weekend Daniel Ricciardo had making his return to Formula One. Huge news in the paddock. We know how much Daniel's love. He's so loved that Red Bull picked him up for his marketability, it seems, but fantastic that he now is back in a full-time seat and has a big challenge ahead. But if, if you want to hear more about that challenge, uh, head over to the F1 Pit Talk podcast hosted by Matt Kosh, uh, Speed Cafe's own F1 editor. Uh, and of course, Ian and Matt will be on the ground at Belgium this weekend. Um, and of course, the other Aussie that was uh, making headlines, of course, was Oscar Piastri, who went wheel to wheel with Max Verstappen at the first corner at Hungary. What a fantastic effort. So some fantastic Aussie news uh, on the Formula One front. Um, of course, this weekend, ahead of round seven, if you want to hear more on supercars, there's the Monday newscast hosted by Mark Fogarty. Uh, if you need to catch up, that's obviously on the side as well. And you can hear all the latest news uh, from earlier this week's podcast. But of course, after this weekend's event, uh, we'll obviously have the latest from the ground in Sydney. Now, it's an interesting round because it's a fuel drop round that also has uh, points for fastest lap as well. So 310 points would be the perfect score uh, for the drivers uh, if they were to achieve a perfect result. And of course, we don't think anyone will, and they probably don't either. But uh, a fantastic event awaits um, high tyre degradation uh, at Sydney Motorsport Park as well, an unknown for Gen 3. So obviously we had the test there on February 22nd, which was the first all-in Gen 3 test. Um, but this is obviously the first competition for Gen 3 there. So a bit of an unknown. So again, strategy plays uh, and a... Uh, should be an interesting weekend under lights at Sydney, which uh, I'm old enough to call fondly Eastern Creek. So speaking of supercars, today's special guest now is someone who has made a significant impact on the sport, someone who brings intelligence, someone who brings tenacity, uh, and someone who uh, is beyond his simple simple role, uh, uh, beyond his job description, and that gentleman we're privileged um, to speak with is Dr. Ryan's story. So sit back as Daniel Herrera and I talk to the great doctor about uh, Penske, about DJR, um, about Scott McLaughlin, um, and also more recent Gen 3, um, the struggles the team's had this year and they faced, and also the work of David Noble. So coming into a team as we've changed to Gen 3, so going into a situation with a brand new car, not just a new team to get to grips with. And the way they've dealt with that um, from obviously a, 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 the lows of the original Newcastle round um, to the recent success in Townsville. So sit back, uh, relax. It's an engrossing conversation. We cover a lot of ground. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Ryan Story. As our first guest, we are absolutely honoured to have Dr. Ryan Story joining us today. Ryan, thank you very much. Good to see you. Dan, it's great to see you and, and Daniel as well. Great to be here. Mate, again, an honour and a privilege um, uh, as, you, as you've been away from the track. 
The check cleared. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's our little secret. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, mate, uh, obviously uh, you've been away from the track for a while. There's been some big changes. I mean, uh, that's an understatement, isn't it, in supercars this year? Um, but first of all, before we get into the nitty gritty of, of racing and, and, and parody, if that's still an issue, I, maybe, I don't know if you've got anything or there's anything going on there. Um, tell us about, tell us about you, mate. What have you been, how have you been, uh, and, and you've been away from the track for a while now. What's, what's, um, how is Ryan's story these days? I'm, I'm still kicking. I've, I've, I've clearly stepped back from having a day-to-day role with uh, the Shell V Power Racing Team and Dick Johnson Racing. And it's been to focus on my health predominantly. So the last time I went to the track was actually the Gold Coast last year. I'm not sure when I'll be trackside next, but uh, but I've been more involved with the team uh, in the period just after Tassie, uh, just in, in in talking around that dirty P word. But a little bit of experience and a few runs on the board there from uh, from years past. So I was able to bring a little bit of, bit of that back to the table in recent times. Yep. Fantastic. And, uh, you're you're an ambassador for Camp Quality and an ambassador for the Prostate Cancer Foundation of Australia. Tell us a little bit about that. You're in the news with us a few weeks ago regarding that. Yeah, yeah, I really appreciated that. We we managed to hit um, both Camp Quality and the Prostate Cancer Foundation's fundraising targets with a double donation push there at the end of the financial year, and really appreciate your support. That was fantastic. I mean, these are organisations that uh, that I, I care about very passionately. Uh, they they in terms of who we're targeting with this specific message, particularly when it comes to prostate cancer, we're talking talking about men 40 and over if they have a history of uh, of prostate cancer in their family or even uh, gene, gene positive breast cancer. That also increases your risk for bowel cancer. But anyone over the age of 50 should be talking to their GP about about getting a PSA blood test. A simple, a simple prick can save your life, as they say. But the, the research that the PCFA is doing is saving lives. Uh, we have a survival rate with prostate cancer now that's 95%. We want to get it all the way to 100. And a wow. lot of that research is happening here. And on the front page of the Fin today, there was another, another uh, sorry, the front page of the Oz today, there was another piece about some, uh, some, some groundbreaking prostate cancer research. And again, when you look at our, our audiences, it's 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 the right demographic, the right people we should be hitting. And when it comes to camp quality, it's it's about supporting families who are going through hell. And mm. any 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 family with any kid who's facing cancer or any severe illness, it's 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 completely. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm not a parent, but so I can only sympathise as opposed to empathise. But uh, it ta- it's 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 all consuming. It takes up everything and. What I really admire about Camp Quality is that they are the most impactful social organisation in the country. So for every dollar dollar that's given to Camp Quality, they return a social. Uh, they, do, they they have a social return of five to one. It's 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 a significant wow. return, and and they they work with other other charities and, and other cancer related charities to support families and particularly focused on kids and families, parents, um, siblings of kids who are sick. Because again, it's all encompassing, and for for mum and dad, they're 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 focused on on the journey that uh, their sick kid has. But they could have a brother and sister too, who often I've been in this situation myself. You sort of you're left with with other members of family because it's just the way it has to mm. be. And that's a that's a incredible role that Camp Quality plays in, in in providing that support and just providing laughter as much as anything else, and 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 and, and, and escape mm. from uh, I suppose the the rigors of treatment and, and what can sometimes be the 
hardest period of, of anyone's life. Yeah, and that's... But yeah. I started, and you, you folks were kind enough to support it. I started off the Worthy Causes Fund, which is a dedicated uh, sub-fund uh, that basically I've contributed a reasonable amount of money towards and will continue to put money towards and half of my estate when I finally fall off the perch will go to that. And that supports uh, the Prostate Cancer Foundation and Camp Quality and Australian Red Cross and a bunch of other charities as well. Mate, that's fantastic. And obviously the illnesses themselves don't impact just that person. As you say, they they spread across families. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's, it's devastating. And we've seen a lot of racing people like yourself, Rob Herod, um, people like John Bow. I did some stuff on Thomas Randall a year or two ago, different uh, the way cancer and other diseases um, affect these people. So, um, yeah, that's something we're um, – and, and thanks to our readers as well. I mean, putting that out um, for you was also a, a way to get more people, as you say, the demographic. So thanks to our readers and listeners of the podcast as well for for chipping in there. But I, I, I think um, – and and it's great to hear that you're you're going well. Um, I'm making that assumption. Um, so yeah, we're really pleased. And and as I say, we have fans and and uh, our um, audience on constantly asking us how you know how's how's Ryan going. You know um, what's Ryan up to. So great that you're with us for that reason as well. I think uh, one of Daniel and I discussing one of the first things we wanted to ask as well was um, you've been away from the track, but not completely, obviously separate from DJR. So um, what, what's your current role at DJR? What, what's, what are you doing on a daily basis and, um, and how's it all going? I'm, I'm doing a bit more now than what I was. I sort of threw poor David Noble into the, just took him out of the frying pan and threw him into the fire without much of a handover, but he's done a phenomenal job for the organisation here just in terms of his leadership. But, uh, but yeah, just working now on a better handover and just in, I mean, I've, I've got runs on the board and some, some, some history, I suppose, with parity in particular when it comes to 2018 and 2019 specifically. So I'm just able to bring that experience to the table and it was clear to me after Tassie, um, and Tassie just being a unique, being a unique sub-minute circuit, a couple of big straights, a couple of corners, and the micro sectors there in particular are quite telling. And yeah, I've just made myself available to the team from from pretty much from that event, just to work with the engineers, to work with management, to work with Ford, to work with the other Ford teams as well, just to get an understanding of where there might be an imbalance. And then commencing those discussions with supercars and, and and trying to get the best understanding possible to move forward. So it's 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 not a position that we're unfamiliar with, but uh, yeah, I've got a little, probably got a little bit more experience with it than than most in 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 recent times, I suppose. So we've had a a couple of significant changes you know, designed to address this disparity of late. There were the aero changes that were implemented ahead of Townsville. We've got some engine changes ahead of Sydney Motorsport Park this weekend. Um, just as the bloke involved in the process, can you just explain to us firstly on on the aero side, we know what's happened, but what exactly were we trying to achieve there? Well, a lot of it comes down to you have to take into you have to take into account what feedback you're getting from your drivers and where they and, and where their feedback aligns with the stopwatch, because the stopwatch doesn't lie. So you can see from micro sectors and from the timing where the cars aren't necessarily as strong as the Camaro. So when you 
a portion that with the feedback you get from the drivers, you're able to tell, you're able to flesh that out and tell a bit of a story. So this is all off the record, of course, Daniel. But uh, yeah, I'm kidding. Uh, it's between it, us. It, it, yeah, it's just between us. Uh, look, it's, it's it's a matter of going through a process. And first off, to to identify that there is an, imbal- an imbalance, you need to be able to identify it and quantify it. And then you need to, and it's one thing to do that. It's an entire another thing to try to redress it. And that is a collaborative process that happens between the homologation team and supercars. It's quite a complicated process because you're having to constantly. I mean, I certainly felt this. I've certainly felt this in the over the course of the past few months. Been felt it many times before. Now is you one minute you're DJR, then you're Ford, then you're a key stakeholder in supercars. So you have to look at things through multiple different lenses and multiple different prisms. And and as as the case may be in this particular instance, it's okay. How do we get the how do we get the Ford on the on a level playing field with the Camaro? Because that's all we're asking for. We don't want anything more than that. And then equally, supercars who have access to all of the data and all of the information, who have been privy to the development of both cars, it's it's a matter of sitting down with them and going, okay, what do you guys think it is? This is this is our working hypothesis. This is what we believe will make will bring it, give us a step change in this particular area where we think we may be deficient compared to the other car. This is why we and again it's about quantifying it all as you go as well. And full credit to supercars, I think they've run that process very well. It's never easy. There's a lot of stakeholders. There's a lot of pressure. Everyone wants an answer yesterday, but we 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 play we sign up to play within a set of rules. And even if something is as plain as a nose on your face there becomes a window when that can be redressed. And for us, it was the final event in Darwin that triggered the five out of eight races that saw a parity change or a parity, uh, the parity review process take place. So it, it, was a, it was a balancing act in, in stepping in before that process was actually triggered, understanding that it was likely to be triggered, working with supercars to try and get a better understanding of 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 holistically where things are, having a look at the development process of the car to try and understand anything that we may have learned through that process, through the aero work in particular, through the engine work in particular, and then bringing it all together. At the same time, you're talking to other to the heads of other Ford teams, you're getting feedback from their drivers. That's a process that goes on anyway. But when you're specifically talking parity and specifically looking at an opportunity where you can potentially redress an imbalance, that that information and all of those variables become ever more important, and and you can't dismiss anything. You have to you have to take everything seriously. You have to quantify everything. You have to try and you have to try and follow a scientific process and method, and try and try and leave the politics out of it, uh, which is not not always easy to do. But it's essential to get it's essential to get the best possible outcome, and that again does come with a certain degree of del- delicacy because. That's uh, that comes down to balancing the mood and the noise from the rest of pit lane from the other OEM, and I think it comes from having been on the other foot in some respects in eighteen and nineteen. Eighteen, Ford was on the back foot to GM. Nineteen, GM was on the back foot to Ford. Twenty-three, you would argue that Ford was on the back foot to GM. So there's there's a, there's a few runs on the board from from prior learning. And uh, and that does count for something, but but more than anything, it takes you have to be very sensible. You have to take the politics and the bullshit out of it, 
you can't go in there with any agenda other than redressing the imbalance because if you do, you'll get found out because there's a lot of smart people in pit lane. There's other people who don't necessarily need to sign off or, or give some sort of Christian blessing to whatever the final outcome is, but, but it needs to pass the pub test. It needs to pass the pub test where you've got some serious, serious people in pit lane who go, okay, They've taken the piss with this. You, you don't want that. We can't have that. So, so you, it needs to be a process that's driven by the scientific method as much as possible, but also taking into into consideration everyone's opinion, all of the data that's been accrued, and any additional data that, that we can accrue based on what we're seeing. So it's been an interesting journey. We're not quite there yet. As you alluded to, there's an ESD change with the Mustang for SMSP. It'll be interesting two-day weekend. It'd be great if, if it would be great if we were on track Friday and had the opportunity to really evaluate and understand the error a bit better, understand what that throttle change means a little bit better. We, we, don't, we, we don't have that opportunity, so we just need to get on with it. But uh, there's some things that we can learn uh, just just simply from what what we ultimately want those outcomes to be and what we know the aero balance shift has done, that we can roll a car out of the truck that's hopefully closer to the we've been. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see how this next weekend goes. But I can assure you there's been an, an enormous effort by a lot of different people, a lot of different stakeholders to get us to where we are. Sure. Okay. So where, where are we at then? It, it sounds like you've, you've not necessarily cured all the yields yet. It's an iterative process. We can, can we expect you know, further tweaks after SMSP? Well, it's, it's not the aim. I mean, the aim is to... The aim always is to get it right the first time, but you can't necessarily do that with the processes that we have. And sometimes it takes going racing to really see where you sit and, and to really see what the form guide's been like. Uh, I think it's fair to say, and, and, and I know that, uh, that we've we've been quite open in this, uh, speaking from Shell V Power Racing Team perspective, we haven't had the best of seasons by our own standards. We didn't roll out at Newcastle and we weren't the lead forward team there, which is which is the, the simple... The simple test that uh, that we run ourselves to, if if we're not if we're not if we haven't won the race, we want to at least be the first the first car with a pony badge meeting the checkered flag. So there's been a few things that we've had to sort out to get our house in order to be in a position to properly execute some of these changes. But a lot of that has come from the fatigue of the process, which included the second VCAT and uh, and and a, and a lead up to. Newcastle in particular, where we're building three cars, we're doing all of these things that otherwise wouldn't normally happen. You've got aero tests and you've got a group of people who have been working on the prototype for the better part of 18 months. It's it's a significant investment. We're talking a multi-million dollar investment and only Triple Eight and DJR have been privy to that. The other teams haven't had to cough up the chump change to for the, for the pleasure and privilege of being the homologation team. But, but for us, a big part of it is also our responsibility to Ford, our responsibility to supercars, Repco supercars supporters right around Australia and New Zealand. We just have to get it right. So have we got it right? Don't know yet. We won, we won one Sunday's race in Townsville. I know a lot of people put an asterisk next to that around tyres and all those sorts of things, but I, I, I discount that a little bit. When you look at Anton's pace and clear air, it was pretty good. Um, have I'm not, I can't. I can't crystallise that to say, hey, we found something in Townsville and we've we've got this arrow tuned out and we're gonna we're gonna kill it because Sydney's always been a happy hunting ground for us. I could say that it'd be complete nonsense. Um, we're going to we're going to Sydney Motorsport Park, having learned what we've learned with the arrow package in particular from Townsville. 
We've got a window that we think we believe we can make the car work in. And, and that's also taking into account what we know about the track, what we do in simulation, all of those other things. So I'm not sure whether we can park the P word for the rest of season 2023. And we also don't want to overcorrect. So it's it's one of those very difficult ones where you try to effectively redress the re- redress the imbalance, get a level playing field, and then hope that uh, the best driver, best team wins on the day. And, and that might take a few more race weekends to, to play out. I think at Townsville... Kansas is not an aero circuit. There's a couple of places where aero is pretty important, and we could see that in some of the micro sectors. But you know, my form guide going to to Townsville was well. Let's look at Newcastle Street Circuit. Fords weren't too bad. Parity wasn't triggered. Uh, wasn't triggered at each Newcastle event, but there were competitive Fords in the field. And I went to Newcastle thinking, you know, this is probably not going to make a massive change, given the nature of the circuit. We just need to ensure that we're as competitive as we can be and learn as much as we can about this uh, about this new package and the new spec to the car, which is ultimately what we're able to do. Okay. So, so in broad terms, what, in your words, what is the imbalance or imbalances that you you've been working on correcting with these changes? Well, I think there's. A, I think you know, with, without me, without me opening the kimono, as Tim Edwards would say. I mean, let's 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 look at let's look at what what's taking place. So if we look at the aero, aero changes, it's added downforce to the rear of the car. Why would that happen? Well, again, it's been widely reported at certain at when we're in, when the car is at pitch, there is a there is a downforce discrepancy that's been measured and validated by supercars between the two cars at right heights that aren't necessarily captured at VCAT. That's what we know. That's ultimately what's what what's what's been sought to be addressed with the aero changes, with the ESD change. It's simply a matter of, of continued development and continuing to try and balance as best as we can two completely different architectural engines, and and that's not an easy thing to do. I mean, supercars have done that in the past when uh, when AMG and uh, when Erebus ran AMG, when uh, Kellys were running Nissans. It's 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 not an easy process. It's not an easy process, and and key to it is just again being. We just have to work. We have to work with these. We have to work with these folks. They're very good at what they do. They are privy to everything that everyone else is doing. So when they when they when they suggest exploring certain paths, then that's not not that's not usually a flippant throwaway comment. And through the process of the ESD change that saw us test out at QR a week or so ago, and uh, and and saw teams running the eighty mil throttle body at uh, at Winton. That was just about. That was just effectively further evaluating putting miles on on a on a, on a package that uh, that we wanted to go racing with. So, I don't think that's necessarily going to have a massive impact on the stopwatch. That's just more about refinement and drivability. Sure. Okay. You you mentioned VCAT just then. It, it sounds like we've come across you know quite a few things this year that you know have never been an issue before, or no one could have conceived would have been an issue. The the pitch behaviour of of the Mustang, for example, but from your perspective, what are the lessons for the homologation teams for supercars? You know, the next time we go and introduce a new model or a, a new generation of car. Well, I think the biggest challenge in this in this particular instance is we have. I mean, I know that it's talked about by Mark Scaife, Neil Compton, in commentary all the time. It is the biggest change in our category since 1993 we have the only thing that's that's carried over is the transaxle 
I mean, even the even the super shops, we every team forked out the better part of the five figure sum to get them all adjusted and resized to for the new cars. So other than the X track transaction, there's nothing that carries over. So anyone under the illusion, and we've proved and let me tell you, we have proven this. <laughs> Anyone who thinks you can take a Gen 2 setup or a cough car setup and apply it to a Gen 3 car, you are kidding yourselves. But the, the thing that we need to evaluate, and I know supercars are working on this, and we've seen them speak speak to uh, the uh, the AVL dyno in Melbourne have spoken about that publicly, and there's some other things in the wind as to what those parity processes look like in the future. But we've, we've effectively taken a third of the downforce that we were running before and it has it's what's what it's ultimately resulted in at least at least from my perspective is that by eliminating that downforce and eliminating the the so many things that teams had freedoms freedoms with in the past and and and, and could take liberties with in the past it's the closest thing we've had to, we have to a level playing field ever and we were always going to learn lessons the hard way as we as we rolled into this era it's 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 the nature of it's the nature of the beast the fact that parity was triggered only in Darwin and it was a bit of a painful first half of the year for, for Blue Oval fans, that's again, it's 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 regrettable regrettable, but that's the that's the system and the, the rules and the structure in which we race under. So it's 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 how we have to go racing. But when you have the opportunity to redress an imbalance, you have to do it the best way possible. And at the same time, we've been working with supercars and we've been working with Triple Eight as well, talking about how do we do this better in the future and and that's that's still a work in pro in progress. The one thing I will say, and and, and I give enormous credit to uh, the race consortium to the owners of the series, they haven't been shy in putting their hand up and putting their putting their hand in their hip pocket to invest accordingly to ensure that we have the best touring car racing platform in the world. They've done a, they've done a phenomenal job. Uh, they've they possibly weren't. It's not for me to speak for anyone, uh, but. I think it's safe to say that they possibly they possibly weren't as aware or as acutely familiar as to what the investment requirement would be when they signed up. However, they've not they've not shied away from from what's needed to be done along the way, and and even talking about transient AVL dynos, that's huge investment. It's an investment for the future. It's it's the right thing for the category, and it's it, and we'll all benefit from it. But but in having reduced so many barriers of entry and trying to achieve the core objectives of Gen Three, I mean, right now they look good, they sound good. They, mm. The racing has been ostensibly good if you ignore the badges. Um, but when you bring the badges into play, it hasn't quite looked as nice as what we like, and that's what, obviously what we what we want to address here proper. But uh, but it's 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 it would be remiss to not acknowledge the scale of the change and the time that I believe it's taken this team, not to mention every other team in pit lane, to not necessarily have an understanding of the car, but to catch up. And that's that's even to the point of catching up with spares, catching up with uh, catching up with manufacturing production and uh, and and waiting on things from third parties. I mean, we we're in a fortunate position financially. And this has been the case with us for a few years now. We we aren't reliant on, for example, Cool Drive. We take a lot of spares to to the track. We're not reliant on on a on a on a main loom being available to any team that needs it first in pit lane. We've got all of those things in, in our truck. Touch wood, we don't need them. 
but it, it's taken a long time to get to that level. And that's because you're reliant on the parties in a lot of instances, control part suppliers. And and the last thing the last thing you want to be doing to other teams is 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 building up your own stock of spares when these folks barely have enough stock to go racing. So then there's a process involved in that as well. It's taken quite a bit of time and probably a bit longer than what everyone's expected. But uh, if if things are going on, the tra- if things continue on the trajectory that, that we're on, we're in for a cracker last half of the year and, and Bathurst especially, I think it's going to be fantastic. We just need to keep pushing and fighting like hell and, and, and not, uh, not take anything for granted get to know this package as quickly as we can so that we can convert it to results. I just want to jump in with a quick one. You mentioned teams catching up, Ryan, and if you took the badges off the cars, um, what do you say to those people that say, you know, it's just Erebus and Triple Eight that happen to be in Camaro's performing? You know, it just happens to be those teams. So it's that organization's success as opposed to the badge on the car. What's your response to that? Well, we've seen... Team 18 win a race, we've seen Matt Stone Racing win a race, and we've seen Matt Stone Racing be competitive with both their entries. Um, I, I think that it's certainly shaken things up a bit for sure. I, I just, yeah, I would have liked to have seen more ponies at the front, and hopefully that's the direction that we're heading in now with some of these changes. But uh, but as, ostensibly, that's been the only thing missing. It, the, the racing otherwise has been good, and, and it's thrown up different results. And, and the reason for that is, the reason for that is, it's not necessarily simple and straightforward. And my explanation for it is fairly, uh, my explanation for it isn't quite as nuanced as it, as it should be for public digestion. But when you look at the teams that are successful and you look at the structure of those teams and you look at the structure of those teams previously when it was a bit of an open slather, they didn't necessarily have the investment in engineering and in manufacturing that other teams have had. And Gen 3 has been the ultimate reset for them. Right. uh, For those organisations. So they don't come necessarily with the baggage of the past. And in the case of Team 18, they've built their own cars, which is is fantastic. So so full full credit to them and the success that they've had. And same with with Matt Stone Racing. It's fantastic to see them them getting trophies on merit. And winning races on merit and having having good weekends—that's that's that was that's what Gen Three was all about for them, and that led to significant investment for those guys to go to a two-car outfit. It was all about what Gen Three was going to bring, and you know it's easy to look at this stuff in hindsight, but uh, when someone like Matt Stone says, "See, this is what we were building up towards," it's, yeah, that's what he was building up towards. Gen Three was a massive part of their business plan to expand and to grow and to ultimately see some see some fruit come from that is a is a is a great uh, is a great thing for them and it's just a matter now of, of seeing some some blue up front a bit more frequently and I think we can all again again we can't rest on our laurels there's still more to do I think there's more to do to make the, not to make the cars safer but to make them easy easier and easier to service um, a bit more user friendly for the mechanics I think that there would be a there'd be a there'd be a barrage of support for that up and down pit lane at the moment. They're, they're, they aren't as complicated a car as the car they replaced. They're perhaps a little bit more brittle. And I think we've seen that some of the accidents that we've seen with bent steering arms and things like that, just with how how some of the uh, how, how these things have played out and the inability to really uh, to really test some of those things through the prototype stage. You need to have cars racing wheel to wheel and have someone heading towards a tire tire wall without uh, without any 
you know, without necessarily being under under the control of a driver to see what the outcomes of those things are. But no different to Car of the Future when that came online in 2013 that had a long gestation process. That wasn't perfect when it rolled out. Gen 3 hasn't been perfect. Uh, we just need to identify the weak weaknesses, address them, identify them, address them, get to the end of this year, see where the major cost centres are for the teams and what we can eliminate, what we can change, what we can make better, make better. So that meant that, as you mentioned, one of the pillars of Gen 3 was greater competition, more variety of winners. Uh, there was the racing quality, the relevance to what we drive on the road these days and also to bring down costs. I guess the latter is still quite a particular pain point for teams. Has Gen 3 met the brief so far, do you think? Well, the ones who have met the brief on that the best are uh, Kenny McNamara and um, Bobby Irvin and Rob Herod from KRE and Herod Performance Engine. I mean, the engines have ticked all the boxes. Uh, they're cost-effective. They save the team's an absolute fortune. That's that's the one part of the cost control that we've got absolutely right. But yeah, there's some, there's definitely areas of improvement. But but those areas of improvement, it's motor racing is expensive. We're not so we're none, we're none of us are socialists. If you can't afford to do it, don't do it. Uh, but it, but we still need to be sustainable. So there's still steps that we can take. But sometimes it takes the it takes the capacity to step back from it. And that's usually the only thing. It's usually the sort of thing you can do at the end of the se- at the end of a season, where you can have a look at have a look at but you know expenses over budget. You can see where you've got cost centres that are a little bit out of control or and or didn't quite meet expectations, and that can usually lead to areas of change. I mean, the X Track transaxle is a great example of that. Nothing wrong with the Albans transaxle that it replaced a few years ago, but it wasn't necessarily fit for purpose with particularly with the lateral loads that were being put through that thing. And you know, the, the extract transaction has an LMP2 gear set in it, for goodness sake. So these things, these it's 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 fairly it's it's fairly heavy duty. And that I mean that change saved teams a huge amount of money. The, the cost the cost of entry is significantly greater than say buying an albums, but the cost of the service costs and some of the warranties around the service costs are significantly significantly less. So We've we've shown in the past that we have the capacity when we come together and identify whether it be through the technical working group, whether that be driven by supercars directly, whether that be a, a bit of a cabal of, of, of between the homologation teams or other teams saying, "Hey, this is a problem." I mean, if you look at the success of Erebus and you look at the way in which Barry Ryan operated through Gen Three, he was an instrumental figure in putting together a lot of buying groups to go to uh, control suppliers and other suppliers, other manufacturers and say, or even other teams and say, look, this is the order we can put together for this. What's your best price? He, he, he did a phenomenal job with that and he really led that. And often, oftentimes it is pit lane that leads those processes and it needs to be led by individuals like Baz did with that and did a phenomenal job. And I think that will happen at the end of the year. There'll be an opportunity for everyone to take a breath, reflect have a look, see where there's obvious areas that we can look to adjust and and, and make make better and, and spend the money. I can I can list probably half a dozen now, but to, it's probably not appropriate to do that. But there's there's always people working on those things, and and like I said, the, the proof's always been in the pudding in pit lane's capacity to come together to reach outcomes that be a bit of spilt milk in in the short term, but but over time it's proven to be the right choice. I don't want to harp on with the parity thing, but. <clears throat> It's a story Sorry. of the year. I mean, it's, yes, repeatedly. It's a story of the year. I mean, I, 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 I hate to take I hate to take it away from 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 
Charlie and Matt and and those guys who've done a phenomenal job and taken home the big trophies. But uh, yeah, story of the year, whether we like it or not, is the P word. Well, the the interesting thing for me is compared to 2019, <clears throat> particularly Mark Rushbrook at Ford, there's been a bit more aggression from Ford in terms of they've been a bit more vocal. They've talked about data sharing and that kind of stuff. And given your seat last time when the Gen 2 Mustang came along, uh, what's behind that aggression or is there, is it, is it that what's the problem there? What's causing Rushbrook to be more aggressive? And, and the, the biggest point was, I think, I think it was around Bathurst 12 hour time when the announcement of Red Bull and Ford teaming up for 2026 in Formula One happened. And that was when Mark seemed to be a little bit more on the front foot as in, you know, a lot of people say Ford's a conservative, large organization, um, but in this case, it wasn't. So what's different between now and 2019, other than obviously Ford's chasing, as you said, as opposed to being the one chased? There's a couple of big things. I mean, we have to wind the clock back to the end of 2017 when Graham Whitman made the call to bring myself and Tim Edwards and Rod Nash into Broadmeadows. And we had a discussion about Ford entering the championship with Mustang for, from 2019. And, and I remember when Ludo Lacroix first joined us, one of the first things that, uh, that he did and, and I did and we worked together on this was we, put, we basically tried to understand how we could get or how we could fit the body over the control shell. But if we, if we go back a year before that, when Ford ceased manufacturing Falcon and Territory at, uh, at Broadmeadows, that happened, that happened on Bathurst weekend in 2016. It was just huge. We ran a, ran a tribute to Ford because Ford, Ford, Ford Australia started out being a subsidiary of Ford Canada. Um, Model Ts were imported, but Model Ts were started to be assembled. I think Model T started to be assembled in Broadmeadows in, not, uh, from what was in 1906 or something like that from memory. So it was a significant amount of time, significant history, which we celebrated that weekend. I remember driving a Falcon. I was second in queue in a Falcon parade around the track with DJ in front. It was a pretty special time, but but Ford weren't heavily engaged in the sport at that time. And they've mm. gone from not being fully engaged to being fully invested with the S550 Mustang, won manufacturer championships, driver championships, team championships. Then through to Gen 3, where the week after the global unveil of the best-selling sports car in the world, happens at the Detroit Motor Show, it's unveiled at Bathurst as a supercar. Mm. That's a big deal. People lose sight of that. Ford made supercars custodians of their crown jewel, the best-selling sports car in the world. We we ignore that at our peril. So mm. when someone of the experience, the tenacity and the caliber of Mark Rushbrook says X, we should pay attention to it. When he talks about data sharing, he's talking about it under the auspices of the other categories that Ford participate can participate in and what happens there. And I've known Mark Rushbrook a long time. What I know about Mark is that he loves racing, he's passionate about racing, and he doesn't he doesn't speak just to speak. He doesn't bring something to 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 the attention of the of the series unless it's something that he believes warrants attention that's just the, that's just the sort of person that he is he's an absolute class act mm. but we we ignore some of those messages at our peril and i think supercars have done the best job that they could under the 
structures that exist. And we all, again, we at the beginning of each year, at the end of, end of, at the, at the, end of the preceding year, we all get our entry forms. We all sign up to compete. And part of that is signing up to compete under a set of rules. And some of Ford's observations in terms of what they do in, uh, in NASCAR and in IMSA and, and now what they're looking at doing in terms of their Formula One project, they've got enormous scope. I mean, if you look at Ford Performance, mm. look at look at look at Supervan Three at Pikes Peak for goodness sake. I mean, these guys love motorsports. What they're all about. I mean, Edsel Ford, Edsel Ford the second. His his Twitter handle is Sweepstakes nineteen oh one, named yeah. after the car that that basically that Henry Ford started the whole company with and his whole reputation with. I mean, motorsport is a massive part of that organisation. Everyone mm. who's everyone who works for that organisation, don't forget, they're Australia's largest automotive employer. They are heavily invested in this program. So when they give supercars and DJR as a Ford homologation team, the, the CAD for the S650 Mustang well before it's publicly launched, that is a big deal. That is not something we should take for granted. So they're heavily invested in the category and as such, they should, they should, they should and have every opportunity and should be listened to. And, and, and any time anytime that Ford are on their soapbox, we should be at attention, listening, not giving them lip service and paying attention because it's not for nothing. And we simply can't lose sight of the responsibility that we have in being the custodian of that magnificent brand with the pony badge and pony badge in the grill. It's 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 phenomenal. It's just phenomenal. And if you'd asked me ten years ago if we'd be racing Mustangs in right hand drive Mustangs in this country, I would have laughed at you. And so would so would so would anyone else. So would it, so would have anyone else with any sense any knowledge of the automotive landscape at that particular point in time. I mean, we all hoped when when Ford made a decision to to introduce Mustang to world markets with a right hand drive, we all dreamed that it would that supercars would be part of that. But we are we we're a significant market in that we are we are heavily we're we we we're we're a significant yet small market. We're significant in that every man and his dog sells a car or an SUV mm. or a new to but we're small in that we have a population of 25 million people. So sometimes we need to be a real, little bit realistic. But when we get given the, when we get given a USB with the CAD to the S6, S650 Mustang, that's a pretty big deal. And, of course, the S650 made its global racing debut as a supercar. And as we speak today, uh, it's still not on sale in the US. The uh, the launch, which you'll be able to read about on Talk Cafe. I can do plugs too. Um, uh, you'll be able to read on Talk Cafe as well. Um, Stephen Notley will be uh, driving the S650 as a road car. So we've been seeing it on track for since March or since testing on the first one on February 1st. So, yeah, that, that Mustang nameplate is I, – I my personal opinion is that Mustang nameplate is a global baby. It's America's baby. Mm. Whereas Falcon, no disrespect, Falcon to Ford US, not as important. Not not saying that in a yeah, negative no. way, but but once you've got a, you know, once you've got a global nameplate to play with, then that that I think um, shows that Ford's serious. So um, it it, com- yeah. it completely ups the stakes. I mean, the thing you need to remember, Dano, is Mustang's first road course win in the world was where and by who? Well, I can tell you where it was here. Alan. And the boat drive, and no, the boat driving it was uh, Uncle Norm Beachy, Storm uh, and Norman, won the first 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 road course win for a Mustang ever was here in Australia in, in with Neptune Racing with Storm and Norman. So 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 there is an indelible link with Mustang in this country. Australia Australians love their Mustangs. It's 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 
the number one selling sports car here as it is everywhere else in the world it's phenomenal so i think you hit the nail on the head demo and you obviously come from from that world as well that it's a world car it's 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 on display well and truly before it's in the showrooms it's a big deal Hmm. and and we all uh as a i worked at a motoring publication at the time when the last generation Camaro came out and we were shocked that there was no right-hand drive program given the success of Mustang from a product point of view. So whether you're a GM guy or a Ford guy, it doesn't matter. From a product planning point of view, Camaro surely had the opportunity. I don't think Camaro has the leverage the Mustang name has, but it's still an iconic US name, Camaro. So, um, I mean, look yeah. what they're doing with Corvette. I mean, they, I mean, yeah. you can't, you can't tell me Mark Boyce doesn't understand Australia and world markets. I mean, he's a, Mark Royce is a brilliant man, but the they wouldn't Ex-Holton be doing what boss. they're doing with with yeah. I mean, they wouldn't be doing what they're doing with with Corvette if they didn't if they didn't see a dollar in it and they didn't didn't and, and if they weren't. Uh, I mean, yeah, have you seen the prices, Ryan? Seen the price of Corvette, Ryan? I think on this call, you you might be able to afford one, but me and Daniel certainly can't. Or maybe Daniel. I, I give all my mate. I give all my money to charity. I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm relying on you blokes to to you know you blokes are the ones who need to. Go and you know go, go and raid the raid the piggy bank and call the bank manager and hope that they'll let you drive away with one. If anyone wants to give away a Corvette for a, a charity raffle, um, I can't promise you Ryan's story because it's got the wrong badge. But um, well, certainly, well, I tell, tell you what, it, I tell you what, we are giving away at the, at the moment. If you go to campquality.org.au, you can buy tickets to win a Land Rover Defender valued at one hundred and fifty odd grand. It's uh, it's pretty good at 20, 25 odd bucks. So uh, go and support a good cause. Get on board, people. And uh, it's yeah, it's the only time I'd be happy to drive anything without a without a, a blue oval on the front would be if it was something I got for an orange note that uh, that goes to charity. That's a pretty good pretty good yeah. reason to do it. I'm trying to double check the price of the ticket to make sure I haven't given given people a bum steer and they're thinking it's thinking it's twenty five bucks and it might be fifty. So just bear with me a minute. I probably have, probably have got that wrong. But what we can say to DJ, sorry, thirty five dollars, thirty five dollars a ticket, thirty five dollars, thirty five dollars, still cheap at half the price. <laughs> so you could, but you could sell that Land Rover, and you'd have plenty of change left over for a Raptor, though. For example, Ryan is, which is what you would, yeah, you would. Yeah, yeah. this has been a massive. My, my daily I, of choice. I, I'm expecting big. My daily of choice, Dick Port Johnson's Australia. daily of choice. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Dick, Dick Johnson, Ryan Story, uh, Will Davison, Anton Di Pasquale, our vehicle of choice. Is a Ford Ranger Raptor. Yes, yes. A quality, um, high quality vehicle engineered in Australia for I, for the tough Australian conditions. I don't know if I can say what Dick Johnson said about the first time he drove a Raptor and roundabouts, but I'll leave it at that. That's all I'm going to oh, say. Oh, straightabouts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we, we can talk about straightabouts. Yeah, okay. sure. Anyway, he was talking hypothetically, Damon. I mean, come yeah, on, of he course. was talking hypothetically. Yes, yes, yes. So, anyway, we should turn this back into the great some, man uh, loves his Raptor. We should stop the Ford ad now for Chevy and Holden fans. Uh, so, um, the other if thing- you're looking for an inferior vehicle, <laughs> go to your local go to your local Desoto Plymouth dealer and tell them the Groucher sent you. I don't know. There's don't other know brands: Pontiac, um, Saturn. There's a lot of brands to choose from. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you about, Ryan, were you mentioned changes at DJR? So you mentioned yes, the homologation team like Triple Eight, Triple Eight succeeded where DJR didn't triple eight a second behind chasing Erebus down at the moment. So 
Uh, what were those changes? So with David Noble, um, we spoke to him at Adelaide last year, just when he was announced, um, sporting background. So I don't know anything about AFL personally. Daniel knows a lot more about football than I do, but that those sporting analogies and that getting that team together, he, he talked a lot about people as opposed to just winning races. So talking about um, the environment for people and nurturing people and that sort of thing. But what are the changes? Where did, I don't want to be as blunt. Well, I'm going to be blunt. Where did DJ go wrong, basically? Is in what what mountain did they have to climb to get to a, a reasonable state by Townsville? And which is by no means to be blunt over necessarily. Yeah, yeah. Look, I don't. I, I, I mean, I wouldn't premise it in the same way. You know, where did DJ go wrong? We had we had multiple battles to climb uh, through that process. We took over the engine development for Gen 3 um, when Steve Amos stepped back. Uh, there was obviously mm. a change to Herod performance through that. So there was there was a there was a number of challenges in that process that were never never originally planned, of course. And that took a took trying then to insulate the organization when those things took place, which is something that I've always prided myself on in management at least. I mean, it doesn't come easy, but it means that you have to means that you have to forego or 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 ignore something else to focus on whatever the whatever the topic at hand is. So it's it's not without its challenges. But appointing David Noble is one of the best things I've ever done. He's everything that I'm not. He's a he's a an outstanding sports administrator. He's a people person. I'm not either of those things. Uh, the, the success of me running a supercar team is when I live and breathe it 24 hours a day, seven days a week, which isn't to say mm-hmm. I can't delegate, I can, but if you were to ask, say, uh, CFO Ron Young, he would tell you, and he has told me, you know, it would take a few take, to, take a few people to replace me because I'm all over the engineering side, I'm all over the mechanic side, I'm all over the, the commercial side, I'm all over all of these things. And you can't, it's just unsustainable. Uh, it's unsustainable, but then the proof is in the pudding is when you then take that person out, what happens to the organisation? So we tried to establish a management structure that would be such that the organisation would be able to be able to function successfully without me having to have any role at all. And the only thing that was missing from that was a, was a CEO and a, and a leader. And, and David's doing a great job in that role. He really is. He's learning more about the sport the hard way. I think that, the rigors of some of the off-track politics when you talk parity are fairly full on, but he's not shy. He's not shy from that. He's also he also know, he, he's also he's also smart enough to know what he doesn't know. And it's no different to when I first got into the to the sport. I knew nothing about it other than what I saw from sitting on the couch and having a degree in mechanical engineering. Uh, yeah, you, you you have to you have to be prepared to put it on the line for what you know and. Mm-hmm. That's where David has been incredibly strong in keeping the keeping the group group really tight knit, keeping the culture the culture the way it needs to be, even in the face of defeat, defeat, and in the in the face of a bit of a rough run, keeping everyone appropriately motivated. And then, in particular, in particular, then as we've as we've effectively understood or better understood the car, better understood what was needed to redress any imbalance building up towards parity, making sure that we're thoroughly prepared as best as we can be in a manner in which that we can bring the other four teams into that process as well to ensure that their feedback is being is being duly considered. It's not a straightforward task. And it's and again, I, I, the poor bastard was 
jumped out of the frying pan and into the fire. And, and in many ways he did, but he's doing a fantastic job. Mm. It's a really, really, really strong appointment for us. I'm delighted, delighted with, with, with how it's going. And I think that as, as he learns more about the sport and becomes more familiar in that role and can, and can begin to put his own mark on the team, DJR's only going to be better for it. She'll be powered. Racing team's only going to be better for it. And we're seeing that already with the wild card. And that's, that's something that he's spearheaded and it's all about it's all about uh, it's all about the um, the pathways, pathways for our junior engineers, pathways for our junior mechanics, thinking down the line with with drivers as well, looking at commercial opportunities for our partners when they're used to seeing us on the podium every weekend and we haven't done that for the last six months or so. Right. So it's 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 understanding, okay, what what's the value add? What's a value add that we can do that can also accelerate our process with some of our youngsters that can also give us an opportunity to learn more about the car and potentially strengthen. Uh, I mean, the mountain hasn't exactly been a happy hunting ground for us for the last few years, so how can we potentially strengthen that as well? So it's it's, it's very sound, logical, rational thought behind it. We've got the spare car. We've got access access to, to quality drivers. We've got the capacity to to create a commercial opportunity for, for our partners, which is important. We've got an opportunity to, to run a car that can potentially... Yeah, it can, we can potentially use to ensure that we get on top of a, a, a nice setup for those Mustangs at, uh, at Mount Panorama as quickly as we can from Thursday afternoon. So it's 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 just a tremendous opportunity and, and an exciting one and one that's 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 very much very much much being driven by nodes. So we'll see more of that as uh, as time passes as as he grows more confident and familiar in the role and, and has more more and a greater understanding of, of this particular sport. Because you can take the rationale for appointing someone like David is quite simple. I mean, he's been he's been a very successful sports administrator, particularly at Brisbane Lions and at the Adelaide Crows. I'm a Port Adelaide supporter, so you know, right? Not a huge, you know, sort of and, and, take a pinch of salt, but apparently he did a good job at, at the Crows. Right. He hates he hates Port, so is that, sort of, Hang on, Ryan. Daniel, is that you're my football filter, Daniel? Does that is does that compute? Because Port, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know what that means. Well, I've, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not especially a fave with that that particular game. But you've put it like this Adelaide Crow City rivalry, uh, local niggle crosstown, all that sort of thing. Even though they both play at the Adelaide Oval, but yeah, we get it. Okay, good. Thank you. David has David has my old office here, and um, and they kept my name on the door until until a few months into this year, and I and I ended up taking my name off myself. And then I wrote in in a whiteboard mark. I wrote David Noble on the plate, <laughs> and and it stayed like that for a few weeks before um, Scotty, our sticker guy, said that that is abhorrent. That needs to be fixed and addressed. But um, but every time I walk to his office, I'll occasionally break out the song. You know, we've got the power to win, the power to rule. Come on, Adelaide Aggression. Because we're probably <laughs> having a pretty good year, so I don't mind uh, don't mind rubbing that in. But uh, yeah, in, in in Adelaide, it's very binary. You're either you're either a Crows fan or you're anyone but Port Adelaide. See, his success there, so that obviously computes to DJR today. Well, <laughs> well in football teams, it's, and particularly when he was managing lists and and had a broader broader sporting and administrative roles, that that, that experience is impossible to get in, in a motorsport mm-hmm. environment. Uh, our organisations aren't big enough. Um, we don't have... I mean, there are very few organisations in the world, uh, in the world that run at the premier level, that have 
that, that have still have control of the pathways, whether it be for athletes or engineers, mechanics. There are there are a few examples. There aren't many. Um, high tech probably one that sort of springs to mind at the moment, just because they're applying for that um, for one of those spare spots on the F one grid. They've obviously they obviously compete in F two, F three, and do all sorts of other different things. There's just not many organisations like that where where that where you have that holistic view of mm. of, of the entire motorsport landscape and, and and David's had those roles in Brisbane, had those roles in Adelaide and the experience is phenomenal. But but also it comes down to governance as well. And I think that he's been especially valuable to supercars as well in being able to say, hey, look, this is what this is how the AFL do it and this is why they do it. This is something that perhaps supercars should consider in terms of the governance. Yep. So there's 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 definitely been a, there's been a return of investment with David Noble, not just for DJR, but also for the category. Can I, one little question about David as well. Do you think the situation of Gen 3 and, as you say, jumping out of the frying pan into the fire, do you think that's actually accelerated the progress or been better for the team and for him? It, Yeah, look, at it. I mean, it has. I mean, it was never meant, it was never meant to happen that way. I was meant to be, um, I was meant to be cognizantous enough to, 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 Cognitive mentors enough and honourable enough to do a proper handover, and just it just didn't happen. But uh, but yeah, twenty twenty hindsight's a wonderful thing. Uh, but yeah, to his credit, he's done a phenomenal job and kept the team together. The morale in this place is is still phenomenal, and and after the win in Townsville, it was it was just fantastic. But but no one was under any auspices or any illusions. It was a you know everything's done now. We can just go on our merry way. That is not how this organisation is. We're only ever as good as our last race. It's that's how any race team operates. But. But but sometimes you do need to stop and, and reflect on the success. I think that we haven't always under my leadership, I don't think we were always especially good at that. Um, but 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 under David, that's that's a priority. Yeah. When you work hard and you have success, you and, and you're rewarded for it, you you stop and, and reflect on that moment. Daniel, I should give you a look in, mate. So I've asked all these human questions. Daniel likes <laughs> questions. Did you say human-y questions? Yeah, yeah. Not a real word. As in H-U-H-U-N-Y? Yeah, I reckon. Human-y questions. Human-y. Okay. <laughs> yes, I have a human-y Have you got any technically, question, te- technically <laughs> questions for me, Daniel? <laughs> I just... No, I was... Well, we run these rod hearts. We're running these spring rates. We're running these roll bars. What else do you want to know? You know, (laughs) trucks trucks already left. Trucks already left for Sydney. What else do you want? Yeah, Matt. Yeah, we've done this. We've done that. Yeah, sure. I'm the type of person that enjoys reading the ops manual. To be honest. Yes. Oh God. Jeez. You know, I shouldn't say. Aisha once. I I I had to bite my tongue with, but I I. Still, unfortunately, have that document memorized. I, I wake up in a cold sweat in the middle of the night. Oh, section, section A, you know, division, division, division C, page three, you know, all that sort of nonsense. But uh, yeah, I, 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 I don't envy you there, Dan. I'm sadly wired the same way. And uh, yes, for better or worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I'm not sure I'll, how you translate uh, just, that to you. I'm not, I'm not sure, sure how, you, how you translate translate that to be thrilling, thrilling scribe at speedcafe.com. How does that translate that? Is that, or is that something I should sort of reserve to, to discuss with the editor-in-chief when you're not on the call? The problem with knowing the Ops Manual too well is that you can be, it's, it's drier than flour. 
<laughs> you'd write you can write the most technical yarn out there. All of pit pit lane reads it because it's it's the must read story of the week. But the punters read it and go, huh? <laughs> you know, what? <laughs> one of the one of the interesting ones, and I don't know if it came from this. Um, Daniel, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, with the wild card sharing a boom with Triple Eight at Mount Panorama, Daniel was the one. Oh, yeah, that that yeah. that'd be Division East somewhere if it's event, wouldn't it? Pit lane order off the top. Of my yeah, head. It'd be somewhere in there. Yeah. Okay. I think it'd be yeah. B. But... All right. Now B's, B's judicial. No, no, D, D for Delta. No, I, D, yeah. Oh, yeah, D, D sporting, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it'd be, look, yeah, I mean, that's really be, interesting. We've been, good good fences make good neighbours. We've been neighbours in Pitlane for a little while now. But uh, but look, realistically speaking, we've always had a good relation, a good working relationship with AAA, just both Queensland teams in the world. It was a little while there where uh, we had, you know, we haven't always had, we haven't, the motorsport bubble in Queensland's gotten smaller over the years. Um, when Techno went to be Team Sydney and, and relocating down there, there were one less team. We worked a little bit more together then just in terms of making sure that we're on the same page in terms of going to the series about what the calendar should look like and taking into consideration truck time, uh, truck travel times from southeast Queensland to, say, Perth and, and to Darwin, Townsville, and then vice versa for, for the Melbourne teams to some of those remote locations. But but we were, I mean, I, I have a very, I mean, he probably wouldn't say this, today, probably would actually. He works for you, you can ask him. But uh, I've always had a good working relationship with Roland Dane for many years, many years, um, many years. In fact, from from the beginning, really, from my first involvement in the sport, because I was paying a heap of bills that were sent from Triple Eight, there's <laughs> always a reason for me to talk to him. And you know, you're only as good as your word with people like that. And uh, and yeah, we've always had a good working relationship, even through to. I mean, he nominated me to be on the Supercars Commission for goodness' sake. Um, it's yeah, we've we've always had a good working relationship, and and sharing it, and it, it'll be it'll be much of a muchness. It'll be it'll just be a group of motor racing people. Going for the same, you know, on focusing on the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, who will be the best wild card? That will obviously, you know, there'll be a bit of sheep stations on that, of course. But uh, yeah, when it comes to, to 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 pit stops and things like that, pit stop practice, I'm sure will be smooth sailing. The lead car will have the call. They'll work it out. They'll have lines. They'll probably have. They'll have better lines of communication than what what have had what's been had in the past. In the in that there'll probably be the capacity to use electronic communications instead of having to be physically close to each other. I mean, I remember back in 2015 when we were a one car team, we shared a boom with Techno. We relied on physical um, communication, physically talking to Steve Hallam and those sorts of things, which was and and speaking to their mechanics when pit stops would happen. Things were obviously not not ideal. We do a lot more with technology these days. We use different intercom systems as well, which might make that complicated, but depending on who the DAGs are, you probably have the ability to use the supercars and LAN, uh, the supercars local area network to set up some sort of chat system. And it'll just be about communication. Yeah. But yeah, we can, it's just, it's just, it's just funny that it happens to be uh, us and, and those folks, but it'll be, it'll be professional. It'll work just because of who it is. Uh, I, I, there'll be the generic team fire suits for the crews rather than you know, Repco versus Super Cheap and, and Shell versus Ampol and all these sorts of things. Oh, 
there's always there's always a little bit of cheekiness that goes on with that. I'm sure there'll there'll be arguments over mm. how big a certain sticker is on the boom and all that sort of nonsense. But uh, as part of the course, at the end of the day, it's Bathurst. It's it's the most important race of the year for us. We want to do it justice, especially with a wild card. We know that you know for a wild card to be anywhere close to the top ten is a hell of an achievement, especially this day and age. And I think that the 2023 race will perhaps in many respects be a race of attrition. So. It'll just be a matter of keeping out of trouble and uh, and doing the best possible job that uh, that they can down there. But uh, yeah, I mean we've we've still got some commercial announcements to come as it relates to the wild card. We're excited about that. We're looking forward to being able to go testing. And we've got I mean the cars in a the cars in a in a pretty pretty near complete state down on the floor at the moment. So it's yeah, it's 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 certainly it's certainly livened up the troops here and and really got everyone to rally around and. Yeah, everyone's really excited about it. There's been a bit of a push to have me somehow involved in the engineering of the car, which I'm, I'm, I suggest that there are much better volunteers for that than me, but uh, we'll see what happens. And uh, Simona, driving for DJR, Ryan, tell us, yeah. how, how did that How did that come about? Were you were you uh, part of that or how, how um, tell us how that evolved? No, I mean, I was, I was part of, Putting together a shortlist, but no, 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 Nob's reached out to Simona, and she's 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 never hidden from the fact that she's wanted another crack at it. And I think that we don't need to wind the clock back that far when she was potentially going to be in a third triple eight car. So, mm. and I'm, I'm I'm always conscious of of the respect that Roger Penske and Tim Sindrick had for her abilities, having seen her up close in IndyCar for all those years. Uh, I think that it's it's a great opportunity to get her out uh, to do the race. I think that I think there's a lot of these a lot about a lot about these cars that will suit her driving style in particular. So it'll be it'll be really fascinating to see how she does. But uh, she's a class act, mm. great operator, very easy to deal with, a lot of experience. And again, when you have people like Roger Penske who who rate you, that's a it's a pretty pretty good endorsement. And it's a a good balance. You've got Simona. Who is arguably also a, a well-known name, but Kai Allen at the same time. So you've got emerging talent. So that seems to be the philosophy there. Yeah, yeah. And Kai's someone who some Kai's someone who came to my attention last year through the dude. I mean, all roads yes. in Australian motorsport lead to the dude. You know, <laughs> SVG's opportunity in NASCAR. Paul Morris, Boris said, text message sent here, there, and it happens. But I remember the dude talking to the dude about. Kai last year, I've never heard him wax lyrically as much about a young kid as what he did with this one. And and yeah, from that point on, I just from that point on, I said to Ben Croak, get him in the car. So we got him in the car for the Eval day we did just on a year ago now. When I think we had Thomas Sargent in the car as the reigning Formula Ford champ. Uh, and yeah, he's just a, he's just a, a young kid who's. Doing a pretty, we did a pretty good job last year in Super Three. Doing a fantastic job in Super Two. Got a win in Townsville, which is fantastic. Um, he's got a real opportunity of potentially, uh, potentially uh, winning that championship up against one of our old cars with Zach Best. They're leading at the moment, so that'll be fascinating. But uh, yeah, when 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 Paul Morris has high praise for a driver, it's something that uh, I think all of us should should pay attention to. Yeah, I mean Anton's another example of that as well. Yeah, I mean, and look. That's you know I've got a huge amount of time for the dude. He's a great guy. I mean, not many people have won every iteration of mm. race that you can run at Bathurst from 
one thousand for six hour or twelve hour and everything else in between. He's got a phenomenal record on the track, but in terms of what he's done with drivers off it, he's he's arguably been every bit as successful in his off track pursuits as he has with his on track ones for sure. But uh, but yeah, he, I mean, I remember I remember doing the deal with uh, with a dude with Anton. It was I'd, I'd had communications with. Eddie, because he was at Erebus at the time, obviously, and Eddie's a very good friend of mine. And it just went went down to Norwell, said, dude, we want the kid to drive for us. How do we go about it? What do we do? It was done on a handshake. And we worked out the worked out some of the in-between parts after the fact. But yeah, he's a he's he's very good at what he does. And and yeah, he he's he's uh he's somewhat more um uh, He's not as verbiose as say I am. <laughs> so, so verbiose. By, by the verbiose. So I think by the nature of that, yeah, when he speaks, it's he's worth listening to. I mean, I've served on the board with um, of racing together with him and uh, and Roland and and Gary Manick, Cole, uh, Connolly, Ian Gillespie, um, Tequila uh, Clancy as well. I mean, Paul's the same in that environment as well. He's economical with his words, but when he speaks, he's, he's every, mm. every 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 word he says has, has has meaning and should be paid attention to. So yeah, when he when he says that the kid named Kai Allen worth a look, Daniel, do you have more? I've got one more technical question and then one more humany question. Um, so Daniel, <laughs> yeah. if you want to if you want to go, if you want any other tech stuff, we've no, that's fine. You go on that, and then I probably just want to ask a couple of. Big picture supercars things, given it's you know eighteen months the technical of race now. The technical stuffs what I want to get. What I want to talk about. I don't want to talk about this human crap. I just want to talk about. I just want to talk about <laughs> racing. That's what I'm on the. You know, Damo Solmi said, "Listen, we'll get Herrera on the line. He's a nerd. He's right up your alley. Get on like a house on fire. You know, it'll be all this technical nonsense. I won't understand a word of it, but it'll be great. You know, the punters will love it." They won't understand it either, but they'll understand that there's a bit of biff and barge and a bit of aggro there. What is this? Oh, and here I am asking about your health. How selfish <laughs> of me. I know. <laughs> yes, you're right. I know. Focus on the things that matter, Damo, for Christ's sake. So I've got a big, I've got a broad question, which may be a question Daniel may be thinking as well. Gen 3, okay. What's next? What should supercars do after Gen 3? I mean, it's a good question. I mean, there's 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 nothing to say that the platform can't be evolved to to effectively underpin multiple generations of cars. I mean, that's ultimately what it's all about. And we started moving in that direction with Project Blueprint all those years ago. Uh, I think the the most important thing is really going to be what I talked about before with you folks, and that's that reflective period. At the at the end of the season, where we all look at our P and Ls and go, okay, we're spending too much on this, spending too much on that. Well, the cars are more expensive than what we anticipated and what we hoped for. They're more labour intensive than what we anticipated and what we hoped for. Those things will smooth out over time, but it's going to take a little bit of effort for that to happen. And it's going to be it's going to be a process of all of of, of a it'll be a collaborative process that will involve. The technical working group of which all the teams are represented on the commission, which all the teams are represented on, um, it's and 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 under the ownership of race, it's less of a democracy these days than what it was before, which which I think is is good. I think that's proven to be a successful business model at, at the 
premier premier um, motorsport format in Formula One for de- many decades now. So there's oh, nothing to fan. suggest. Well, it's not. I mean, it's not just Bernie. Liberty have continued the same mm. thing. I mean, mm. Stefano's a phenomenal leader, and what they've what they've put together there. Even I mean, forget about 2026 for a minute. But what Ross Braun, Pat Simons, all of those guys put together for their technical rigs for 2022 is pretty phenomenal. Really shook mm. up the order a bit. So, so then, but to, should supercars? I mean, we talked about how important Ford is to supercars, <clears throat> or vice versa. Um, but there's GM's involvement isn't as is uh, deep, uh, if I if I put it that way. But what about other car makers? And and does it need to go electric? How long can it stay V eight? All of that. Like, what do you see? What'll be racing around Mount Panorama at say Bathurst twenty thirty three? That'll be, that'll be interesting. I, I probably won't be sitting here at DJR at that point in time. <laughs> was, who knows? We'll see what happens. But, um, but I think the I think there's the capacity to hybridise the drivetrain now. So the X track we could put a we can put an air system on the X track. Um, we've got to we've got to fix the weight first. We've, the cars are heavy. We've got to take more weight out of them before we think about putting any batteries in. We've got to work out what what the purpose of the batteries is for. I mean, it shouldn't be for market relevance. I don't think a push to pass. Push to pass, I think, is a little cheap, but but there are ways in which we can spice up our racing and 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 do it in a way that's not ticking a box. I think yeah. there's ways for us to make 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 the racing make the racing the product better without necessarily saying, oh, we have to go electric, we have to do this. But there's a lot of things we can do on the sustainability path, I and mean, we've been a we've been a leader in that now for a number of years. We've obviously seen the move to E75 with a biofuel blend this year, which has obviously been been challenging in some ways, but also is a, a sign of things to come. I think all of these central governments that are talking about the end of the internal combustion engine and and not manufacturing um, internal combustion engines and internal combustion engine cars from 2020 or 2030, 2035 in Europe in particular, I think that we'll probably see uh, fuel companies accelerate uh, low carbon fuels that will see that, that potentially change. Um, I think there are plenty of people in this in the industry who see electric as a stepping stone to hydrogen and to more uh, more sustainable fuels for the internal combustion engine. I don't see that going away anytime soon. But but I think the process for us is that we're not in a position to look long term at the moment until we have our house in order uh, in the medium short term, and that's making sure that we actually address all of the critical criteria for Gen 3, which is, again, less labour-intensive cars, uh, lower lower cost of entry, uh, lower barriers of entry. We want to build some value back into the team racing charters. We want people, we want other teams, other professional motorsport organisations in Australia wanting to compete in supercars, and we can get to that point. If, if, if it's sustainable from a cost perspective and, and, and from the outside, it's apparent that anyone... The best team, the best driver on the day wins the race. That's that's in, that's mm. appealing and that's enticing. And if the commercial model can be built around that, then then we should see that demand be driven up. But we need to get the cars right first, and I think we need to cut a little bit of costs out, cut a little bit of weight out. These things just happen with time. It's not it's not an overnight fix. But I think I think the industry, the industry on the whole, has done a phenomenal job even to get even to go racing with Gen Three. I mean, we we saw it delayed. Um, it's fairly high profile, the delay of Gen 3 to being mid-2022, which was complete nonsense. It was never going to happen. It was always going to be to 2023. I was part of that. And that was, that was. I mean, that's part of the 
game that I don't necessarily enjoy, which is some of the off-track politicking. Um, sometimes it's frustrating trying to drag horses to water and and see the bigger picture, but uh, it's it's part of the gig. But uh, but yeah, I think there's opportunities for us to to make sure that we meet the mandate that we set for ourselves with Gen Three and and see that properly bear fruit. And it's just it's just not going to happen in the space of of a single season. It's going to take a few years. And do you think that's what's needed to attract another manufacturer? And do you need another manufacturer? Do you need any manufacturers? Well, I look at uh, I look at say TA two and uh, and look at other and not not major championships in that in that tone where there's a bit of badge a bit of badge cut and shut, shuttery going on yeah and there is the there's no question that not so whilst gm are involved in the sport at the moment it's effectively an ip rights agreement so we have an ip rights agreement for the camara to compete the championship with a gm engine that same model is something that can be applied to any manufacturer and it's just a matter of it's just a matter of ascertaining who and what and where where who would be interested as a team in taking something taking a challenge like that on what would be what would be the business case for it going to said manufacturer and there i mean if you look at formula one if you look at uh imsa and what's happening now uh, with uh, with imsa and um, and uh the uh hypercars oh yeah the heart the whole hypercar thing it's phenomenal we have a standard rule set across the atlantic there which is which is going to lead to some some great racing and lead to huge um, huge interest from from a number of oems we don't necessarily need to sell ourselves to another oem we just need we need to have business models such that we can achieve licensing agreements with other oems and 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 ensure that they can be rolled out competitively right it's a it's a it's a, it's a it's a paradigm shift in a lot of ways in that supercars since car of the future have talked about bringing new manufacturers and it's going to change everything. It's going to do this. It's going to do that. Well, everyone who's come in has gone away. And that's because the business model has just been, it's just been wrong. And the business model, it needs to be a sustainable business model without the badge. It needs to be a sustainable business model under an IP rights agreement, whereby the, manufacturer is involved to the extent that they're happy for you to race their car. That's that's ultimately where we need to get to. And you need to have entrepreneurial enterprising team owners who are prepared to to take that uh, that that challenge on of 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 running something new, doing something different. So you'd entertain Peter Adderton racing a Toyota Supra? Well, if he was silly enough to do if he was silly enough to do that, good luck to him. I mean, if, if anyone <laughs> anyone could pull off something like that, it probably is someone like like a Peter Adderton. But that's the. I mean, look, the, you, we talk about it all the time. You go to a go to a race, you look in the car park. It's, I mean, it's Ford Rangers, it's you know Isuzu, whatever's, it's it's you know Navaras, it's all of those sorts of things. It's Hiluxes, it's all those sorts of things. It's what we race on track doesn't necessarily have to be reflective of what people drive on the road. The badge relevance, bad badge relevance is important to Ford, and it's and and GM have a have a different business model with obviously what they do with Silverado and Corvette and all those sorts of things. But for for Ford's business model, it's it's about brand association. Not to mention that, that Mustang is genuinely their hero car and has a long future with a V8 in front of it, as Jim Farley's 
made made clear on plenty of occasions. I'm not going to tank Forge stock price by saying something like that. <laughs> I, I guess just just to circle back then, though, um, we were just talking about you know hybridization and fuels and all this sorts of thing. Is the is the fact that the category is still to this day underpinned by V8 engines? Is that an impediment to even allow to even other manufacturers allowing their IP to be used. I think of the Erebus case um, when they were a Mercedes AMG customer. It's a little bit different, but mm. Mercedes Benz Australia was quite resistant to um, to being used in supercars. Is the V8 still, you know, a, an issue for some manufacturers? Do you think? Look, I'm sure for some of these because uh, there's not many there's there's not many OEMs these days who roll cars off of an assembly line with a V8 front. But again, it's it's not necessarily about about road relevance anymore. We have to be serious here. I mean, the, the most popular cars in the country are SUVs, and Australians want their SUVs and they want their Utes. Uh, they want their they want their Mustangs, and when when the S650s the sale and we already know that the dark horse has sold out <laughs> so the 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 demand the demand for for anything with a well the, the demand for mustang the demand for the t6 platform it's phenomenal it's an incredible australian success story and one that we don't talk about enough but uh, but yeah the, the 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 showroom relevance it was a big part of gen 3 Talking about having cars that looked looked like their road going equivalents, and we achieved that for the most part. But a lot of that was down to trying to uh, trying to accommodate a two door the S five fifty Mustang on a on the car of the future chassis, which was designed for a sedan. So that was that was driven a lot of a, a lot by uh, by what as what's more aesthetically pleasing as opposed to a missive from the marketing department. But we have to be realistic. For another manufacturer to join the sport, they have to have a business case for it, or alternatively, we do an IP agreement. But as we continue to go down the path of sustainable fuels, and we look at other ways of of ensuring that we have a have have a have less of a carbon impact and less of a carbon footprint, we can do that without jeopardising the show. We can do that without jeopardising the the entertainment factor in what we do. We can do that without jeopardising the racing. We've proven it. With the cross sake, we've we've won. I think we've won twenty odd races since. Oh, actually, we were we were carbon neutral for twenty twenty. So we've won a drivers' championship, team championship, and probably the best part of twenty five races as a carbon neutral organisation. You wouldn't know it, and we're very conscious with 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 all of those things. And and the the principal reason why I did that was to prove that it could be done without jeopardising or impacting the on track product, and it can be done without without changing what it is that we do. It, it's it's about being able to enjoy what we do and to be able to keep doing it by not being, you know, not having our heads in the sand and ignoring the world around us. We have to be conscious of the world around us. We have to be responsible for what we do. And if we do those things, we can continue to have fun going motor racing. And and a simple and a business case to another OEM, it needs to be geared around that. It needs to talk, you need to talk, you need to speak their language. You need to talk about sustainability. You need to talk about what it potentially does to foot traffic in their showrooms and to their websites and to their social media platforms and things like that. It's all about the business case. And ultimately I see the future being an IP agreement, but there's an opportunity there for race. There's no question that there's an opportunity for race. When, when you're talking to the importers of the car, of, of specific cars into this country, when you, when you, when you look at what's available, 
there's uh, there's there's opportunities if you want to chase it, but we also have a we're also on a pretty good thing at the moment. I'd I'd love to see another manufacturer in the sport, but I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a be all and end all, and I don't think that it needs to necessarily be a priority right now. I guess we're talking about business cases, and you mentioned before building some value back into the the TRCs. Race has been in charge for about eighteen months now. How do you assess you know their performance? owning supercars in that time? Well, it's like I said, I think they've done a good job. They've certainly invested more than what they would have anticipated after being in the data room and, and, and having their, their their pitch given the, the sign-off, checks being signed and all those sorts of things. So, again, the proof's in the pudding. I mean, they've, they've, they've invested where they've needed to um, we'll see how we'll see how the rest of this season unfolds and, and what 2024 looks like and and what some of those things look like heading into next season, which I think will be another bit of the test for race. But uh, so far, I think they've done a phenomenal job. I've got a lot of respect for Barclay Nettlefold. He is a serious player, serious businessman, someone who's to be respected, someone who he takes into account all of the variables from his own management team and then from all of the team owners and everyone, everyone's got a solution to the problem. And you can see in you can see it in the way in which he and the board operate. They go away, they process it, they look at it, and they they come back with what they believe is the best for, best for the business and by virtue of that best for the best for the industry and best for the sport. It it takes people who know sport and have some um, some understanding of of the business of sport to be able to do that with success. But they they certainly bought in at the time where there were so many unknowns. I mean. We had prototypes running around at the time, but it was very much not not the same and not 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 representative of what we ultimately ended up going racing with. So it's a, I think it would be foolhardy to to give them a, a harsh mark. I think they've done very well in the circumstances that they were given. But but what's most telling for me is that there has been a need to invest above and beyond the scope that they bought into when they when they took over the category and they've delivered they've not they've not shied away from the need to do a lot of those things and they put their money where their mouth is and and ultimately i think when it comes to any transaction you can only judge the success of it based on the stakeholders who have come into the piece and and their appetite to invest and see fruit and to that end race has been phenomenal okay so we we're obviously talking calendars at the moment for 2024 and you know singapore is looking good and it looks like we might have some expansion but singapore's a worry at the moment i mean when you look at the i mean singapore is known for being the one of the Corruption is not, not an issue in Singapore for the most part. They pay their politicians ex, ex, extraordinarily well. Their politicians are some of the highest paid in the world to try and eke out corruption. And the bloke who's been the promoter of the Singapore Grand Prix since day one, who owns half the hotels on the island, has been charged for corruption. And it's a big story. We don't know what we don't know where that's going to land yet. Obviously, it's been written about over the course of the last few weeks. Uh, whether whether he'll uh, end up with a plea deal as has been done in the past with similar corruption charges or not, I don't know. But 
that might have an impact on 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 our capacity to go racing there next year. But uh, but yeah, that's I think that 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 should that's a big uh, that's a big story. Uh, it's just in general, then I guess you know there are certainly the fans are, are clamouring for an expansion or a re-expansion of the calendar to sort of 14, 15 events. It feels like supercars goes missing for long periods and it's not getting yeah, much mainstream yeah. cut through at the moment. What do we do to fix that uh, and to, you know, make supercars a really big ticket item like say it was in those even 2005 halcyon days? Look, we're not going to get back to 2005. That's just that's just the reality. The, the world's changed. You know, social media wasn't even a thing back then. Uh, but what we, we we can be we can be we've had good racing this year, but we haven't had good racing amongst the OEMs, and that's why we haven't seen we haven't read more, we haven't seen more, we haven't been more in the public edifice. So we can we can redress that imbalance with what we're doing around the parity changes, and, and hopefully get back to a level playing field. We'll, we'll achieve uh, and and uh, we'll achieve and, and and accomplish some of those things that you mentioned. But uh, the, the biggest challenge, the biggest challenge we face in terms of relevancy is it's almost against ourselves. It's almost against Formula One and its success. We drive to survive. I mean, Indy tried to emulate that with 100 Days to Indy with a, I think it was a Hulu series. I mean, we, you, you can't simply take, you can't simply take that format and just apply it across. I mean, they, they, they're doing it with tennis, they're doing it with golf. It, it's a bit hit and miss, but when it comes to Formula One, Drive to Survive has been phenomenal. It has driven global success. It's it's driven them to markets that they've never in their wildest dreams did they think they could crack into. I mean, look, they've got multiple races now in the in the US. Liberty or Formula One are actually promoting their own event in Las Vegas. They bought a massive parcel of land in Las Vegas for that for that very purpose. It's 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 a massive paradigm shift and something we shouldn't take for granted. But they're coattails we should try to ride on. I'd love to see us race in Singapore, but at the same time, I'd also love to see us race at QR and at Winton. I mean, I've been out to, I've had reason to go out to QR a few times in the last few months. What Tony Quinn's done to that place is phenomenal. I mean, the man the man promised the world and delivered it. I mean, we're used in this game to people promising the world and delivering that. Tony Quinn's the rule. He's done a phenomenal job with the facilities out there. I mean, the tracks, the tracks, you know, I could use a Dick Johnsonism and say that you know, the, the, the track's not necessarily the most interesting one going around, but I'm sure TQ's got plans for that too. But in terms of the punter, in terms of the punter, and we, we live and die by, by the engagement with our supporters, but TQ got it right. Get the, get the crappers sorted first. He's done that. There's great garages out there. There, you folks have got your offer. You've kicked. You've basically. I mean, we could. We can't actually. We can't have another race out at QR because you folks have taken over the bloody media center. But uh, but it, but the facility is great, and we need to. What we can't lose sight of is that it's all well and good to be Hollywood. It's all well and good to have the street circuit. It's all well and good to have the marquee events. But not every. Not all of the fourteen events or twelve events of the calendar are going to be that. We have to still have strong engagement with, with grassroots. We are one of, if not the most popular regional sport in Australia, we should be in the regions. There's a reason why state governments pay us to race in places like Townsville and Newcastle. It's because of our popularity in the regions. We're a very cost-effective travelling roadshow, yet we don't go to permanent circuits like Winton. We don't go to permanent circuits like QR. So if we are looking at expansion, we need to do it in such a way that we don't lose sight of who our base is. And we have to ensure that motor racing and supercars in particular is accessible to its fan base.
speaking of speaking of uh championship success um and Bathurst, two part question. How confident are you guys going into Bathurst? You talk about the wild card. Um, but also the last guy who won Bathurst with you guys and Alex Primat, that Scott McLaughlin bloke. Do you still talk to Scott? Uh how do you see how do you see his uh accomplishments even though he's now racing for the wrong brand? In your eyes. Oh, Scott's done a Scott's done a phenomenal job. I mean, he's a real he's he's an inspiration to all of us. You know, he has he had a he had an American dream and and he's living it. But he's he's had nothing handed to him on a platter. He has to deliver and you know, he had a second place in Iowa on the weekend. Um I know that he's I know he's hungry for wins and he'll get those. But uh, but he and Shane are shining lights to everyone in the category in so many ways. It's not just drivers, it's also engineers behind the scenes and mechanics behind the scenes as well because there's a lot of Australians in NASCAR and in IndyCar, a lot of people who have been in this building and uh, and in and other teams as well. When these guys get an opportunity on the big stage, they deliver. And that speaks to the calibre of the quality of races we have in supercars, calibre of the quality of mechanics and engineers that we have in supercars that as a former supercar mechanic can win the Indianapolis 500, that a the reigning supercar champion can park his backside into a into a NASCAR and, and win for their first ever street race. I mean, it's phenomenal. And sometimes we get... Australia's fairly... Uh, tall poppy syndrome's fairly... Uh, endemic in Australia, it's how we keep each other honest. But sometimes with that, we lose sight of our successes and we lose sight of the standard at which we operate and the standard at which we hold ourselves to. But it's not to say we can't always do better. However, it does does give room for pause from time to time just to appreciate what it is that we have achieved and what it is that we can achieve on the, on that world stage. I mean, I've the Penske years, I enjoyed immensely. I enjoyed immensely. I'd spent a lot of time in the states before that, working on U.S. elections, done a number of presidential elections, a number of midterms. I spent a lot of time over there, and I, I had political success. I had success in my political career in the U.S. and recognition in the U.S. long before I ever got it here in Australia. I think that's just the nature of our makeup and how we are. That we sometimes. When we, when we do things that are a little bit different, whether they're successful or not, they're looked upon through the, the lens of the past, let's say, and then when there's an opportunity for that to be used in a, with a bigger sample size and in a bigger, in a bigger population that bears fruit, and then it's a case of reflecting, oh, well, we've had something, had something good for a long time and probably need to appreciate it a little bit more as well. It's, it's, it's interesting, but... But I think it's I think it's fantastic. I, I really do. I think any t- any time I'm a big believer that if I'm a big believer that if that you praise success and you reflect on failure, and even if someone who's your arch nemesis, your arch rival, any of those sorts of things, they go to a different playpen and have success, and reflects that reflects well on you as well. But you have to raise your glass and say, "Hey, that was a phenomenal job." I, I sent when when Shane got the drive. I sent um, I sent Jamie and Jess Dane and Tony Quinn a note saying, "You know, great drivers need great teams." 
Triple Eight was certainly a great team. Uh, and I think the same can be said for what Scott's achieved. Scott came from a great team here in Australia and has and has it's, it's, it's done a phenomenal job in, in IndyCar similarly. And, and and likewise, I think it'll be interesting to see how Brody goes in NASCAR. And I think it's I think I think I was only reading on your site today. Um, was it Harvick who said made a comment about he'd welcome other other um, supercar drivers competing over over states or oh, Chase Elliott sorry. Chase Elliott saying he'd welcome more NAS, uh, normal supercars drivers competing in supercars it'd be it'd be fascinating fascinating mm. for for anyone else to have an opportunity but at the same time you can't you can't hold someone back from having an opportunity like that if if that's their ambition you have to do everything possible to if if that's their ambition and they have the runway to get there, you have to do everything possible, whether they're a driver, whether they're a mechanic, whether they're an engineer, whether they're a marketing person. I mean, Chris Wilson, who was the head of marketing, head of commercial here, is now the head of marketing, head of commercial for Team Penske in the States. Much bigger job. He's got 30, 40 people working under him, which is more than what the team here employed at the time. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Mm. And the question can't be, why shouldn't it happen? The question, the question must always be, how do, how do we make this happen? How do you make this? How do you give this person an opportunity to prove that prove what they're capable of? We're we're very fortunate in that we have it's the as a, as an English lecturer of mine used to say it's the macrocosm of the microcosm. Motorsport is a relatively small industry in Australia, but still, it's a, I think the latest I think Motorsport Australia had commissioned a study with De- Deloitte a few years ago that showed that motor racing is an eight point nine billion dollar industry in Australia annually. So it's not insignificant by any means. Uh, and yeah, the opportunity for anyone within our small ecosystem to to blossom and 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 take on greater opportunities in a bigger ecosystem is phenomenal. Absolutely and, phenomenal. And and Bathurst, um I think Ben Croak wanted to push me out of the garage last year when I asked him if uh Bathurst is kind of a bogey track for DJR. You guys after 2019, 2020, I think you're fourth and fifth, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, yeah, we had yeah a... and you guys haven't really shone, like you haven't set the pace um, at Mount Panorama yeah, it's been, quite a while. It's been, it's been tough. I mean, I, I, I'd argue our best year there was 2017. If it wasn't for a grain of bloody sand, you know, about material incursion of a valve spring, we would have won that race by a country mile. But there isn't, there isn't any Bathurst 1000 where there isn't at least one competitor who doesn't walk away saying coulda, shoulda, woulda, and that, you know, that I had my hand on the trophy up until, you know, it's one of those. But, but Bathurst, yeah, look, it hasn't been a happy hunting ground for us. The, our setup philosophy and, and even our car, I, I remember having discussions with, with, with some of the supercars technical people at the time when we first introduced the Mustang. They said, oh, you know, the ZB was designed to win Bathurst and the Mustang Mustang's designed to win everywhere. We went, well, yeah, there's a little bit of that. Yeah, we've got a the Mustang. The Mustang had had uh, well, the ZB low drag, good for Bathurst, and it gets on everywhere else. Mustang, bit bit high drag, more of a stable platform, worked almost everywhere it went. And yeah, we had a we had a really good year in twenty nineteen where we were fast. We weren't necessarily able to carry that over the following year or the years subsequent to that. But prior to that, we were yeah, as you reflected upon, we had a couple of podiums. 17 again we were really quick, but yeah, we had a couple of podiums, I think in podiums in 16, 17. Um, yeah, it's just it's just yeah, it just hasn't been a happy, happy hunting ground for us. And when you look at the history of this team, 
This team was founded on the 3rd of December 1980 after Bathurst that year when DJ hit the rock. I mean, the whole the whole narrative around this team, the whole establishment of this team and the people's connection to the Johnson family is all around the mythology of Bathurst. And we haven't necessarily been able to convert that into as many trophies as we would have liked. And I was just talking to DJ earlier today and he was talking about 1992 and 2017. I mean, these things stay with you for a long time. We'd love nothing more than to have some success there, whether it's whether whether it's this year, whether whether we're capable of doing it this year or not, I don't know. I've always been, I've been an advocate of for many for many years. We've we've had opportunities to run wild cards at Bathurst before. The reasons why I've said no is because I genuinely believed it was a distraction. But what happened through the course of the Gen Three development is that we put together a effectively a satellite team that operated and ran that prototype for an eighteen month period. Right. So in addition to having access to, we've got support of a of of um, of Eggleston's in this process as, as well as 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 you can no doubt appreciate. But we've also got this group of group of guys who were travelling and now now aren't. Who, who are available to to run that car in a way in which it doesn't impact the, the the primary mission, which is to win the race with either car seventeen or car eleven. Yep. So awesome. it's a it's a it's a unique opportunity for us. But but Bathurst is Bathurst feels I mean in the DJR story to be forty two to be racing for forty two years over a thousand races and to only have four wins at that place. So it just it feels like it feels like we've let a few go, but uh, but that's that's also what's so brilliant about about the place is that there are no easy wins in this championship, whether it be the great race, whether it be whether it be Sydney Motorsport Night Race in a week's time. There's no there's no easy beats in this championship, and there's no easy win. Mm. It's just it's just not it's not the level at which everyone operates these days. The professionalism of the teams. The engineering processes and processes in particular that that all of these organisations run and operate to means that it's uh, it's failure is a much easier task than success. But uh, but 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 having success elude you as it has for us at Bathurst over many years is is a pretty uh, pretty big motivator. I can tell you. Um, my only other question was when we're going to see it a race next. Hopefully soon. I was uh, was very much hoping to get to Sydney, but the the two day format didn't quite work. But uh, but yeah, hopefully soon. Ben Ben's up next. That uh, you know home home state. Um, yeah, if I can get to the bend, I definitely will. But uh, look, I, it's it's not my train set anymore. So I, I want to be really respectful of that. Um, I've stepped back from 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 being at the controls day to day. We've got a really good management structure in place. Great people, great organisation. It's uh, if I'm at a racetrack, it won't be with headset. It won't be with a headset on. Yep, no worries. Um, Ryan, thank you so much for your time. Um, really appreciate it. You are our first guest, and which is a massive privilege as well. Um, and we're genuinely excited to talk to you. So, yeah, th- thank you very much. Uh, loving the charity work as well. We'll continue to support that. We urge our audience and our readers on Speak Our Fader to um get involved in that as well in any way you can. Any donation, you don't have to win a was it a Land Rover or a Range Rover? You it was a, def- a defender, a defender, a, a defender. Yeah. So, so thirty five dollars um, a ticket. But look, I, I think the the thing the thing to remember with charity, I mean, times are tough at the moment. We've got interest rates at a level that 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 so mm. so many people have never seen. Got uh, 
yeah, we're in we're in, in a tough economic tough economic condition. But one of the great things about charity is that you can give time, talent, or treasure. That's what it comes down to. And and for some people, it might even be the gift of time and 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 volunteering. And and that can be enough to escape the escape the day to day and the impact on other people. And I, mean, I think think back to the think back to the the bushfires we had in in 2019 in particular and and we have rural fire brigades all across this country staffed by volunteers and it's moments like that when we celebrate those people but those people volunteer 365 days a year and make themselves available all the time and that's something that we should celebrate and such a such a huge part of our Australian identity but yeah when it comes to charity a lot of people think it's just money and it's not it's mm. it, it it can be time it can be talent it can be treasure it can be any of those things and and the reward for it can be the, the internal reward that you feel from, from from being able to make even a small difference is 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 worth it and it can get you through some tough times take my word for it damo thank you so much daniel thank you for having me i've really enjoyed the opportunity to catch up it's been a long time and to be the first guest on the speak cafe podcast is a great honor indeed thank you very much and i look forward to speaking to you again thank you ryan fantastic and thank you daniel herrero and of course again dr ryan story uh what a fantastic conversation what an engrossing conversation uh, so many questions we didn't ask but so many we got to talk about it and it's just so great to have someone with such a such a mind and such a, a a passion for all areas of the sport, the business side, the sporting side, uh, and the, the the processes and and the way he thinks uh, just they they make for fascinating listening. Whether you're a Ford fan, a Dejar fan, or not, um, so and it's been an absolute honour to have Ryan as our first guest on the Speed Cafe podcast. So I hope you enjoyed that. Remember to keep up with us on speedcafe.com uh, with all the latest news. So again, this weekend we've got Spa. Um, Oscar Piastri, Daniel Ricciardo in the Alpha Tauri. Uh, let's see what those guys can do. The McLaren's in great form. So Oscar with a good shot. And of course, Daniel in the Alpha Tauri, uh, seeing if they can get off the bottom of the constructors table on two points there. So uh, tune in on Monday uh, to the newscast with Mark Fogarty for all the latest news, which will include Spa and it will include Sydney Motorsport Park. And also uh, tune in to the Pit Talk podcast again with Matt Kosh for all your Formula One coverage. So thank you again. And we'll talk to you next week on the Speed Cafe podcast. You've just listened to a Speed Cafe Pod Hub production. 